0: Regular listeners of this podcast know I rarely have two guests interviewed at once, but for the topic at hand, the politics of family business, this one had to have both co-CEOs here to really make sense. Just over a year ago, sisters Belinda and Amy Leone became co-CEOs of COS, an Australian-owned private company offering products and solutions for the workplace. COS was actually established by their father 45 years ago and has a strong Australian heritage. It was recently listed in the Australian's top 500 private businesses list, and they have an incredibly progressive approach to the workplace and diversity. As female leaders, diversity is a priority, with 56% of its 60 leaders being female. Diversity at all levels is important. Aside from Australia, Cause's employees come from more than 51 different parts of the world and speak over 60 different languages. The family has built a phenomenally successful company that now turns over 300 plus million and has more than 600 employees and boasts warehouses in every state and territory while remaining family run in full. Blinder and Amy have come to their duo roles with different career experiences behind them. In 2006, after spending five years as a brand manager role outside of the family business, Blinda joined COS, bringing with her a passion for procurement, marketing and sourcing, as well as a solid plan for growth, effective account management and customer intimacy. With Amy, after spending five years in professional services, she stepped into the family business in 2003. Quickly, her passion for people and process grew into the COS culture, its importance in the growth of the company and its ability to deliver service excellence to customers. She has sage advice on how to make diversity a priority Priority in the workplace especially when you're responsible for it given its legacy plus they're both very keen to make sustainability a priority in everything that they do so welcome to the politics of everything both of you thank, thank you, you so much really appreciate it <laughs> great to be here Podcasting remotely can be challenging but it doesn't have to be. Since day one of the politics of everything I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one solution to make the process quick and painless the way it should be for those of us who just love great content and want to get our ideas out into the world. If you know me I'm obsessed with quality in terms of my guests, my sound and everything about my show has to be great the first time. I'm time poor it's so easy to use Zencaster. I'm not tech savvy and you don't need to be either. There's nothing to download. Just click on the link and off we go. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automate post productions now in their toolkit, you don't have to leave your browser to get that episode done and done fast. I have a special offer for you and I hopefully you can experience what I have with Zencaster. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my VIP code, the politics of everything, all lowercase in one word, to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. How good is that? I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. So I'm going to get Belinda to go first. And then, Amy, do you each recall what you wanted to be when you were kids? I mean, I I imagine there was a bit of pressure to join the family business early, but you went off and did other things. Do you remember what you really wanted to do as kids and kind of how that panned out for you? Belinda, maybe kick off.
1: Yeah I think we, we both knew that at some point we were likely to end up in the family business but if that happened didn't happen I actually would have loved to have somehow worked out how to make money from a ski field and I probably would have run a ski chalet or a, a B&B or, or some type of uh, hospitality business in the snow.
0: Sounds <laughs> perfect and Amy what about you what was your dream job as a kid?
1: Um,
2: I really wanted to work with animals. I have a really strong connection to animal life and so I was taught as a child as to what path I was going to take but I was always drawn to the family business as well. Uh, So similar to uh, Belinda, that if I probably could have worked out how to make money out of that, that might have been an alternate path to the family business.
0: (laughs) And I imagine kitchen table, you know, conversations with your father having started this business, there would have been constant conversations about the business itself, right? So you would have grown up with a lot of that fly on the wall conversation, which most of us don't get as kids who haven't been part of a family business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our weekends were spent roller skating around the warehouse. If you if you think <laughs> 45 years ago, there was, <laughs> there was no working from home. So if dad had to do a bit of extra work into the office, we would come and Amy and I would roller skate around the warehouse. And, and of course, there was always lots of chats going on. So we, we grew up in business world and kind of exposed to the highs and lows and, and the pressures of, of running a business.
0: So you knew what you were in for.
1: I'm not sure we did.
0: (laughs) Belinda, you came to work cause a few years after Amy. And did that seem an inevitable move given, I guess, how many decades that you obviously been in the family business. And then I guess watching other members of the family, perhaps coming into the fold. Do you remember that moment you decided to actually make that leap from what you were doing in your career and jump on board? Was there a reason you came in or was it just the season that you decided to do it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. A very, very clear memory. So, uh, from our family perspective, one of the conversations that we'd had from very early was that we were not to come into the business straight away. And so, the rule in our family is that you have to go and figure out what you're good at, do your studies, get a get a job outside the business, and when the time was right, that that the uh, that we would come in. So for me, that was a bit later than for Amy. I. You know, in my early twenties, thought I'll I'll head into the family business when I'm old, when my mid thirties or something like that.
0: <laughs> I love how that's old. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know I'm in my mid forties now. It's embarrassing to say that, but uh, so I had no intention of coming until later in my career because I knew once I arrived that likely I wouldn't I wouldn't leave. But in family business world, we talk about getting the phone call, and that phone call came for me. In my mid twenties, and we were we were well out of the house at that point and living on our own. And Amy had started in the business, and I still thought I'll I'll go a bit later. And Dad gave me a phone call and said, "Can we have a coffee?" And he shared with me that it was time that there was a role available that suited what I had become passionate about. And if I didn't come now, then I would probably be he'd have to hire someone, and it would be five years or so before I could consider coming. So. I asked him to come and meet with the executive team and, and feel what they felt was needed at that time in addition to what, of course, he was telling me. And yeah, after spending a day in the business, I went back the next day and quit my job and arrived six weeks later
0: fantastic. Well Amy, I know sustainability is a shared goal for both you and Belinda and I've I've loved reading a bit more about what what Cause has been doing. You've got a solar farms program, EV trials for example have been implemented. I guess that sort of conversation around, you know, green, sustainability and all those pieces has really kind of evolved over the past couple of decades, particularly. And now it seems like a non-negotiable for most businesses, no matter where they are in the world. Do you have a couple of examples of how you've shifted some of your business practices beyond the examples I've given to actually become greener and more sustainable?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess first off, as a family, we're very passionate about sustainability, And we've been working towards uh, zero emissions for more than 10 plus years now. We were the first in the industry to introduce a solar farm. And we've continued to invest in that in the last 10 years and excited that in the next year, we'll be able to say that we've achieved zero emissions, operating with zero emissions. So that's really exciting. I think sustainability for a business starts with leadership and For us, we talk about sustainability quite a bit and always have done with staff and customers alike. And that really has seen both staff and customers want to talk about it as well, and that's really helped to make the shift in the way that the business operates. So, for example, we're talking about it all the time with customers. We have customers who write to us directly to talk to us about, hey, I've just received this product and there's, you know, way more plastic in it than, there should be and we're like absolutely you're right let's get on that and we now have a packaging working group who are solely focused on the eradication of single-use plastic and where we need packaging to protect product finding more sustainable solutions to use so that by talking about it openly and honestly for many many years has led to a culture of focusing on sustainability and staff are the same. As we travel around to our warehouses and talk to our staff on the floor, they talk to us also about the volume of packaging that's coming in from our suppliers when we're unboxing product and repackaging it for customers. So, again, we have working groups who are always focusing now on trying to reduce that plastic, eliminate its use and use more sustainable options. One of the things in the warehouses we do is that we don't put filler inside of our boxes before we ship them to a customer. We cut boxes down instead. So it's initiatives like that that have come over time from speaking of sustainability and showing our passion for it. The staff and customers also have reciprocated.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I think People kind of expect it, whether you are working in the company or you're the customer. I think we're all so aware of, you know, waste and how much we're contributing to climate change that it would be sort of remiss, I think, for any business to not take any of that on board. And I imagine you can actually probably save money as well by having less packaging potentially if you've got, you know, better options and and able to meet those green credentials as well. Have you found that it's helped the bottom line as well?
2: Um, I think there is a blend. So unfortunately, plastic still remains the cheapest product on the planet. So it's why it is so heavily used. The more sustainable options aren't necessarily, unfortunately, a more cost effective solution, but it's where is the priority? Obviously, Where we can eliminate its use, there is a cost saving there and a benefit to the planet. But if we need to use more sustainable packaging product, unfortunately, it does come at a cost, but a cost that we're willing to make.
0: Yeah, and hopefully one day that won't be the case. I Uh, think if we find something better, I honestly
2: believe that. I think as the as the planet cares more, as people care more about the planet. We're coming up with better solutions every day. We get exposure to some amazing products that are being innovated and created, and it's only a matter of time before we're not really talking about Uh, single use plastic anymore, we'll be moving on to something else.
0: Absolutely. I look forward to that day as well. I think so much plastic. I'll just look at it when I, you know, particularly, I guess, things that have to be moved long distances. I think that's the big challenge as well, um, how we actually do that better. So Belinda, share with us how COS has fared coming out of COVID. And do you have some sort of challenges which you sort of see on the horizon? Every business that I'm speaking to at the moment, whether that be in my PR agency or through this conversation in the podcasts, is talking about things like, rising energy prices, inflationary pressures, the cost of doing business just being more and obviously the war for talent. You know, there's been the great resignation and you've probably maintained a lot of fabulous staff, but there is a lot of difficulty for a lot of businesses to attract and retain people. Are there some tips or hacks of things that you're doing differently to navigate these new times of uncertainty as we sort of head into what year four of the pandemic, but also I guess those, those realities of where we are in the macroeconomic cycle?
1: Yeah, I think starting with the how did we fare during COVID, interestingly, in 2018, as, as Amy and I and our dad, Dom, prepared for transition, one of the things that we focused heavily on is let's get back to what is the purpose uh, of our business. And we wrote a purpose statement, which was our role is to help employers keep their employees healthy, safe and productive. And then fast forward two years to, to COVID hitting and never was it truer. To a test of a purpose of a business as to COVID. So, you know, we spent our business from a fundamental service model, which is essentially we run an e-com site, cos.net.au, and we we deliver next day to businesses around the country. That that remained true, but what we were selling really dramatically changed. So at the beginning of COVID, we all learnt about this term essential workers and our, our role uh, was to help those essential workers keep safe We very quickly learned how to buy and supply sanitizer and masks and thermometers and gloves and and then ultimately rapid tests. And then, of course, the way that we work has changed from a white-collar perspective, those office employees, that the introduction and the ultimate embedding of hybrid really changed the landscape. And, of course, very different in every state. Remembering we're a national business, so what was happening in Perth was very different to what was happening in Melbourne, but we've helped a lot of our customers work out how to do hybrid productively. We sell an incredible amount of headsets these days as people, you know, figure out how to how to do remote well <laughs> and how to balance the home setup and the work setup. So our business has fared well in that our purpose remained valuable to the customer. And we've just had to pivot from a product mix perspective. As we move forward, it's definitely you know uncertain times ahead. 2023 is uh, going to be an interesting time as we as we head towards the back end of this year, and how is that going to look from our business perspective? We're very much our key indicator is employment levels, because if your people are working, then they need to have supplies to help them. Uh, remain healthy, safe, and productive. So, so our business will uh, weather okay, but our customers are going to go through some difficult times and our role is to really help them make the right product choice for whatever it is that's happening in their business. Of course, huge cost pressure coming through. The, the best that we can do with that is just be transparent with our customers as to how that's looking and what the timeline of that looks like and run our business as efficiently as we can to help make sure that we're still delivering great value for our customers.
0: And I do think like you've touched on earlier in this conversation, it, it's about leadership, right? So having those conversations in a transparent way, but also taking control of the narrative and I guess the decisions that you're making. I think most customers and staff always respect that. I'm in the communication space and I always say to people, you just can't you know, be a vault. You've got to actually share what's happening and be really honest with people to the extent that you can be. I think people really appreciate that and the challenges for businesses often come because they just make decisions which seem very instant and reactive but in fact perhaps has been happening at the top end of the business for you know in conversations at board meetings and so forth but maybe just hasn't been communicated till it had to be so I think any approach where there's kind of you know incremental decision making which is shared in a way which you feel comfortable and allows people to feel informed actually is um, probably the only way forward in times of uncertainty.
1: Yeah I couldn't agree more I think Amy and I we talk a lot about communication and how we're communicating with our team across the country, both our leadership team and all the way through all, all levels of the business. And sometimes you've got to communicate even if there's nothing to say, that, you know, the update is there is no update. And that's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you've got you've got to just be honest with what the challenges of business are yeah. and we're in it for the long term. So we, we have a very long lens on how to run a very uh, sustainable business from a length perspective and and Amy and I really make our decisions with that longer lens because we we have that luxury being a family business but you're, you're absolutely right you have to the more transparent you can be and then also then you can get more people working on the challenges and, and thinking through what solutions
0: could be. Absolutely. So, Amy, here's the $64 million question, which lots of us who haven't had a family business would love to know. How does a family business resolve conflicts <laughs> and manage egos? We all have egos, but I suppose when you're working in, for somebody else in a corporation, for example, or even another small business, which is not yours, how do you manage to kind of have that not spill into your off-time relationship as sisters and, and so forth? Or is that not possible? Or any tips for anyone <laughs> out there? Because you guys have done this for a while. You sound like you get on great, but there have to be moments where there's, you know, you don't agree and don't align on things.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a great question and not an unusual one. You're right. I think the first thing for us is uh, acknowledging really that conflict is inevitable, but there's a distinction between healthy conflict and unhealthy conflict. And you learn, you've got to learn to recognize where is that line for you in your relationship. With, with the family. I think it's important to create space for it. So one of the things that Belinda and I are very conscious of is that we do wear lots of different hats and we talk about the hats that we wear. So we have co-CEO hat, we have mother hat, we have sister hat, we have friend's hat <laughs> and at any given time you got to know which hat you're wearing in that moment. So if there is a conflict that's arising and it is starting to get unhealthy, which hat am I wearing and come back to is this, is this healthy or not and create space for those conversations. So we have lots of different, uh, we, we try to nurture those different hats I guess is a way to say it. So we have sister time, we have friend time, you know, we have co-CEO time and focusing on nurturing those different relationships for us and creating space for those is really important. And I think the other really important thing is to be conscious that everybody is always watching you when you are family within the business and you have to be able to be wearing your business hat at all times when you're around the business and all of those other hats are left at the door and you create other ways to other forums for those hats I guess you could say so So, for example
0: you don't necessarily have chit chat about you know your weekend plans together or something like that is that is that sort of the practical lens of it because I would find that very difficult to compartmentalize I think we all compartmentalize you know particularly if we're working parents and we wear you know different hats and so forth but I suppose the difference is I don't see a lot of my team outside of my workplace, you know, we don't actually have that time together. So I guess, yeah, I would find yeah. it personally quite challenging, I think.
2: Yeah, look, we, we definitely discuss all facets of life whenever <laughs> we have an opportunity to. So it's not about that, it's more about it's more about the conflict side yeah. of things. Okay. That we try to keep very separate. So we will if we're disagreeing about something, we're not aligned on something and we're in front of our team. We know the moment to go, okay, we're going to take that offline and we'll come back to that later. We're very conscious of the perception that we are in alignment and because we are sisters, we can speak to each other in a way that if other people see that, they might go, oh, oh, they're fighting. But we know that's just how we work through something. So we've done our best over time because we've learned that. Yeah. In those moments, we do that with nobody else around so that they're not seeing it because it can be unsettling and I think it's very important for family in business to acknowledge that. To anybody who's not in the family, Mm. seeing you have that healthy conflict the way that family has healthy conflict is not professional and so it can be perceived as negative yeah, uh, and
0: that so makes we've sense. We've learned
2: over time. We've worked together for twenty yeah,
0: years. Yeah, you've before. had a long time to get that that machine yeah, and machinery going. Me, we've
2: made mistakes, obviously, <laughs> but we've definitely learned over time. Okay, that we've reached that point. We're going to take that one offline and come back to it later.
0: Absolutely. Um, so, for <laughs> Belinda, how do you create a diverse and inclusive culture in a family business? Which, by its very nature, you guys share DNA. So, you know, there's obviously you're individuals, but they're probably set views and biases which we all bring to the table no matter what forum we're in but you know coming into a family business obviously there's there's kind of a bit of a, an establishment there already of, of views and and the types of people that you might be is it harder to achieve do you have to pedal harder because by nature you already are the same in some ways
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's a really interesting question uh, I think because we've always been part of a growing business and and the family element kind of became a bit less because if you think about it, there's three family among 600 staff. And so we, we again, maybe when we were small smaller, it might have been a little bit more of a dominating factor. But look, I think there's, there's real benefit of three of us from a family perspective, that from back to Amy's point, around alignment. We're very aligned on the direction of the business the purpose of the business and culturally how we want people to feel when they work here you know we talk about the way that culture is the way that people behave and the, the behaviors that are accepted mm-hmm. and not accepted so I think we're very aligned on that uh, but we're also very conscious that all of us being in agreement uh, might not be the best for the business so we've we've made a concerted effort to surround ourselves by other great talented people that have different skill sets to us and we've worked hard on creating an environment where it's okay to speak against the family that, that and against is probably not the right word but we, we definitely create a lot of environments a lot of meetings or groups to discuss ideas agree on the direction moving forward of course, the family is, is the final sign-off as to where we uh, where we land, even from things like growth targets and um, segment focus from a customer perspective. But at the exec table, Amy and I run a slightly larger exec table because there's two of us, so we have another seven execs at the table, so there's nine of us from all very diverse backgrounds and different types of experience, and we really seek out the opinion of of our immediate team to just you know balance that factor that Amy and I could become you know what we call it cosified where <laughs> you've been in cos for so long that you kind of see everything through our our like,
0: like, a, like a tiny cult maybe <laughs> Yes, exactly it is a bit
1: like that you get spat out if, if you don't, if you don't fit in but and you know look from a values perspective one of our core values is innovation and and there's a lot of effort in the business to think different, be different, do different. And we also have a leadership behavior that we focus with the team around curiosity mm-hmm. and being curious and I think that helps us to make sure that that we're not just being stuck in the past and that we're always moving moving forward.
0: I love that. And as,
1: as you mentioned in the intro, you know, there's a lot of diversity. 56% of our leaders are female. That naturally gives you wider thought. And from a cultural diversity, you heard, heard earlier around 51 parts of the world, we've got people that have worked everywhere in all sorts of industries in, in every country you can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And so our, our job really is to give those people space mm. to speak and listen and, and then put the best path moving forward.
0: So, Amy, my question that I ask all my guests, I'm going to give to you as well, of course. What is the best advice you were ever given and why? And I feel like you might tell me it's from your father, but I could be wrong.
2: <laughs> Whoops, it's not going to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm actually a really big fan of Jim Collins. Yeah. I'm not sure. If oh, yes. Him. Yeah. Um, but I've read all of his books and attended many seminars and I've been studying his amazing work for the, my last you know, 20 odd years and he's very focused on research around what makes companies great and it's all about leadership and one of the things that he says is right people on the bus in the right seats. He talks a lot about that and that really resonates with me and has my whole career and it's something that we strongly focus on as a business. We want to be able to hire the right people and have them in the right seats so we do focus quite a bit on that. And that's, I think, one of our strengths is we're surrounding ourselves with passionate people, talented people. We get the right people on our bus and we help to make sure they're in the right seat.
0: Yeah, it's really um, simple, but it's so important, I guess, in an organisation. Yeah.
2: It's, fun, it's fundamental to your success to have the right people uh, in the right seats. And we we focus culturally on creating a safe space for people to move around within the business to speak up and go, you know what, I'm really loving this business, but I'm not loving this role and helping to find them roles within the business that are better suited to their goals, to their talents. And by doing that, we just, we surround ourselves by incredible talent who help us deliver what we do. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the best advice and it's come from Jim Collins, that one, not from Dan. So, <laughs> sorry,
0: Dan. <laughs> so, Belinda, for you, if we spoke again in a year, what would be your number one goal to have achieved and why?
1: This is, this is a difficult one to answer <laughs> because we've got, we've got so many ambitions. Look, I think the biggest thing that we're focusing on right now is a sustainability perspective. In 2023, we, we do plan to be net zero for our operations and we are, wanting to get to hundred percent renewable energy so a lot of a lot of effort going into that right now so if we were if we were talking in a year I'd like to be celebrating that we are at that point we haven't talked about this yet but from a philanthropy point of view our family launched a foundation called the Leone Foundation and we'll be celebrating our 10 years this year so we're sort of you know it's a, not necessarily a goal but a milestone. Mm-hmm that we're very excited about and there'll probably be some cool little trips down memory lane to to reconnect with some of the charities that we've supported along the way so we're very we're really much um, looking forward to that and I think just another year of growth it's uh, you know we'll be moving into our third year as Amy and I running the business you know we survived the first year the business did well (laughs) Well Second year is shaping up well, uh, so I think each year under our belt, where we can kind of continue the business on the on the path that that Dad passed it over to us with, I think is a, is will be deemed a success for Amy and I. Definitely,
0: excellent. As we wrap up today, I wanted to ask each of you, Amy and then Belinda, what is your final takeaway message for us on the politics of family business?
2: <laughs> okay, I think the key is. You've got to be able to focus on the customer first and remember that you're ultimately in business to service a need that your customer has. And if family politics is affecting your ability to service your customer, then ultimately you'll end up in trouble because you won't be servicing your customer and you also won't have a family business. (laughs) So I think you've got to come back to always focusing on the customer first.
0: And for you, Belinda.
1: That's that's very um nice, Amy. I think I'm in a similar vein, but slightly. slightly I don't know if it's aligned or not, actually. But um, doesn't have
0: to be, honestly. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's a little bit of conflict we're going to take <laughs> offline. Um, I I think it's important to focus on the health of the family, and I would encourage all families, especially first generation, um, to make sure that working in the family business is a choice Mm. and that it's okay to not participate in the family business Mm. and that you can still be a part of the family, um, even if you don't want to be a part of the family business. I mean, Amy and I have been very blessed. We're both passionate about the business and we get a lot of enjoyment from working here. So for us, we were very fortunate, but you know, our dad had made it very much okay that if Mm. that wasn't the case, that that it was okay to say no and so that would be my kind of from a politics yeah i think that's
0: important yeah it's okay to not be there (laughs) yeah not be there and that's still okay yes absolutely well it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you both today and if you do want to connect further with belinda and amy there are some details on the show notes until next time take care thank you so much thank Thank you. you appreciate your time thanks so much for listening today If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.